Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. The gentleman I am talking to today is somebody who's been on my radar now for probably uh, about a year or two, but I'm guessing he's been on the radar for a lot more people for a lot longer for that than that, uh, because his loyalty experience and credentials actually go back over 20 years. So I invited Crispin Rogers onto the show specifically to talk about his new company, and that's called Four Good Causes. But in fact, his experience goes back over 20 years. And I'm going to go through his background and bio because there's an incredible amount of expertise that we have access to on this uh, interview this afternoon. So, Crispin Rogers started his career, in fact, at Shell, and he was there for over 20 years. So, he got a huge amount of loyalty and payment card experience with them, um, and that began when they sent him off on an assignment down to South Africa in 1997. Now, after that, he was awarded a number of global roles, and the most relevant and exciting for us is, in fact, he was the very first global person in loyalty for Shell. From there, he went on to run the loyalty and merchant analytics activity for Visa Europe for five years and then did a spell of consulting with some incredible clients such as Royal Bank of Scotland, for Shell themselves, for Voucher Cloud and another loyalty startup called Bink. Then about three years ago, Crispin went on and created this new company called Four Good Causes. So today I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about his vision to bring an increased charity focus into the loyalty space. The other key thing to note is that he applied all of this global loyalty experience into the Loyalty Magazine Awards, where Crispin, like myself, was a judge for about three years. And he did this until last year. So, with that fantastic introduction background, Crispin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paula. Uh, very good to be here. Great, great, great. So, listen, um, as you know, Crispin, when we were planning for the call, um, I am starting all of these uh, conversations with, I suppose, a soundbite and a statistic that we can all learn from very quickly. And I've no doubt that um, given what you're working on at the moment, it's going to be a statistic about charity within loyalty. So, tell me, what is your favorite loyalty statistic? Yeah, so for me, um, it has to be uh, the statistic that there's £7 billion in unused points, miles and cashback in the UK alone. That That's £7 billion, not million, £7 billion. Wow. Um, now, in the US, I, I shudder to think what the number is, but I'm pretty confident it'll be north of $100 billion. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the reason I think that's a stunning statistic is because, um, to my mind, that's um, money which is sitting around not doing anybody any good. Um, yeah. And for me, it really demonstrates the opportunity for us all in the loyalty space to make loyalty an even more effective marketing tool. Um, and I say that because uh, everything I've learned over 20 plus years in this space has taught me that redeeming customers are good customers. Yeah. So people who are using their points, tasting the benefits of the points. Um, yeah. They will buy more, they will buy more often, they will attract less, they'll think better yeah. of the brand, they'll recommend more. Um, and so on pretty much every measure we want yeah. to drive as marketers, uh, it, it's ticking the boxes to get the customers redeeming. Um, Fantastic. The other thing, of course, Paula, is that the alternative to those points getting actually used will be one day you're going to have to expire them. Um, yeah. and, that, and that means you've dangled this carrot in front of the, the poor customer um, who's yeah. facing after it until one day he finds that there's no carrot at all. It's been swiped away. Um, yeah. And in our uh, research we did, we found that here in the UK, more than half of people have experienced that. They've experienced points expiring. And not surprisingly, they don't like yeah. it. Um, wow. In our research, uh, I think it was 83% of people said they were either disappointed annoyed or outraged um, that yeah. their were taken away. So that's the context that um, in which we set up uh, for good causes. And what we're trying to do is, is do some good with that value for everybody involved. Yes. Yeah. And I love that point, Crispin. And it's a really good mindset. And um, 
I don't know how long it was, you know, ago that people really started to to shift from, oh, they haven't used their points. That's fantastic. We're, yeah. we're kind of getting away with not rewarding them. But clearly that has moved forward now to, as you said, you know, making sure that people have the full kind of closed loop experience to actually avail of those benefits. So um, uh, more than half, that's a really good statistic, actually. I love those statistics as well, just to kind of go, I think I'm definitely in the outraged group. Because <laughs> if you give me something and take it away then i think there's um I'd probably invite, uh, i'd invite everybody listening you know try it out <laughs> if you ask your friends and family uh, yeah if you, that 50 percent statistic holds I'm, I'm pretty sure it will and, and see what they think about that we've all got stories to tell haven't we about experiencing those things we sure do, Crispin. Fantastic. Great. So, listen, we'll be dying to talk exactly about um, how Four Good Causes works. Uh, but before that, you've obviously um, done a huge amount of fantastic work in Shell, taking on their first global loyalty role. So, I can imagine that was an amazing opportunity, um, but with a huge amount of challenge. So, so tell us exactly what was involved and, and how all of that uh, worked out. Yes, so um, this is this is going back a while. This is going probably back to about two thousand and four, um, mm-hmm. and it started when I led a strategic review of all the loyalty programs across Shell um, because they were on a big money saving you know exercise to try and streamline the business. And the question was asked um, of of us: Should we close all those programs down and save you know several hundred million? Dollars in in costs going out for the programs, but actually, wow. what we <laughs> found was that that sounds like a lot of money, but it yeah. was pretty clear that actually um, the value that those programs were bringing in was greater than the cost. Um, yeah. Now that wasn't the case for every program in the world we we had, but uh, it was mm. the case for them in general. And so mm. the, the powers that be at Shell um, bought the story and said, "Yeah, we understand that this has got to, it's adding value, and it could add significantly more value still." And then mm. when Shell went global in two thousand and five, uh, I was tasked with. Taking taking on the, all the loyalty activities across um, actually twenty three different countries. Um, okay, we had about fifty million customers, I think, um, at the time, and wow. most, mostly those were managed schemes. So they were our own programs that we were running directly ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. But we also had half a dozen coalitions, which many of your listeners will be familiar with. Things like mm. MRs in the Netherlands and Canada. Flybys mm-hmm. in Australia, New Zealand, Trump in Norway, and Bonus Link in Malaysia. So it was a really interesting mix of you know the benefits of coalition in those markets against equally the benefits of um, kind of driving your own uh, um, future by managing mm. programs. Mm. Um, so that was on the loyalty side, uh, sort of alongside the pure loyalty player. A couple of years in, I then took on the co-branded credit card propositions which mm-hmm. we were quite strong in. We, we had those in 19 markets uh, with a global partnership with Citibank. Um, mm-hmm. I was also uh, responsible for managing all the third-party card acceptance with the likes of Visa and MasterCard and uh, Amex and so on. Mm. Wow. Well, well, that particularly, I know, was a huge business in its own right, Crispin. Yeah. So what were the kind of highlights around that? So I think if we if we look particularly at the loyalty space, which is perhaps the most relevant to the, to the folk listening, this was mm. the context was this was the first time that Shell had tried to run its retail business globally. When for a hundred years or so, it had been um, you know very proud of empowering local markets to run their own show. So there was uh, lots of variation and differences across those twenty three markets, and we mm. had a fantastic period of you know being given that. Train set to play with, where we went, <laughs> through, um, we went through some centralization, standardization, and, and improvement by really going after the economies of scale. Um, yeah. So that touched a lot of different elements, um, which again, those listening will be really familiar with. But what was fascinating was doing it at global scale across so many markets. Um, yeah. For example, if I just touch on a few of the things which we addressed and um, levers we pulled, it started with you know, how do you measure the health of programs? You know, it's so important that um, yeah. we very much tout in the loyalty space, don't we, that we are a really measurable part of marketing. Well, if we claim that, we've got to, we've got to do it. <laughs> and so yeah. 
within you know, one brand with many markets, we needed a consistent way to measure the health of programs and then to mm. know whether are we improving or are things getting worse. Um, so that was the first stake in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, there were then, if you, you know, consider all the different parts in the value chain of managing what was essentially a points-based, gift-based, um, magstripe card-based program, um, mm-hmm. we centralized all the gift procurement and distribution. So rather than each country buying their own um, gifts, which they'd been, in, you know, had previously been doing, mm. we standardized all of that. And mm-hmm. um, not only the, uh, the the gift range itself, which went from over a thousand different products across the country to something like 200. So we would have mm-hmm. like 200 items we'd choose each year and each market would select 80 of those. Um mm-hmm big exercise in collaboration to get an optimal mix there. So we reach mm. maximum buying power. Um, and they were then put into the standardized catalogs, which we would produce some 15 million or so a year. Um, wow. <laughs> everything's a huge scale. It's and a full-time print job, never mind anything else. It was huge. It really was. And um, you didn't want to have any typos in there, I can tell you that. Um, For sure. <laughs> so, uh, and then all of this, all of this, um, the, all of the gifts which we purchased then had to be stored somewhere for central distribution. So we had a, a massive warehouse in northern Germany, the size of about four football pitches, where the TVs and the, the teddy bears and the you know, cats, yeah. cats and so on were all kept. Uh, it was a huge business. Um, and then, so that was one side, which was a major exercise and, you know, a lot of headaches, but we saved a huge amount of money and improved the attractiveness of the programs in doing that. Um, but we also looked at the way we managed our customer services. So we centralized that whole approach, Mm -hmm. multilingual, um, customer service centers in Turkey and, uh, in, in Hungary at the time. Um, Mm. and I know a lot of your listeners will be, you know, very much into the whole data piece, segmentation data piece. Um, Mm -hmm. We brought in Dunhumby, who okay. very much um, you know, on, on the top of their game um, yeah. to help us segment the data and start deriving some really actionable insights um, out of all of the data, which we then mm. use for our direct marketing and CRM activities, which they supported with us. Um, so that was a fun part. Maybe a less fun part was standardizing the approach to managing the balance sheet. Again, familiar with that. <laughs> but equally critical. In fact, probably the most critical. Probably the single biggest lever in terms of impact on, you know, on, on uh, short-term impact on um, the, the, the accounts. I mean, just having a consistent way to managing dormant accounts, uh, mm-hmm. points that are issued, how you manage points expiry, which we've touched on. The answer is extremely carefully. <laughs> so um, so there were, all of those really were cost-saving elements which we drove after. And, uh, yeah. and then that earned us the license to drive growth. And so then we had, we had some new markets we launched. We launched mm. a premier tier v, v Power Club, which lasted a number of years, um, mm. sort of product-orientated or interest-orientated top tier. Um, and some of the programs you know, were being refreshed uh, and a number of significant new partnerships we brought on board and so on. So you can imagine across so many markets, mm. there was great stuff happening somewhere around the world. <laughs> no, it was terrific. It's a wonderful company to work with as well. I can imagine. And I have to say, as I listen to you, Crispin, uh, what strikes me is that I'm actually quite envious because I've always said one of the reasons I like working as a consultant is because it gives me, um, as you said, kind of levers from one industry or one market that I can learn from and leverage for others. So you literally had um, extraordinary global insights. So, you know, all you need to do is really pay attention and, you know, really then you have access to the best possible solutions solutions across every element of the value chain. So, um, so an incredible opportunity. Well done you. No, it was, it was a great opportunity. Uh, pe- people ask me, you know, are, are markets more the same or are they more different? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us. Well, <laughs> I, my perspective <laughs> is they are, they are more the same. Um, so, I mean, particularly if you, if you've got a similar consumer broad base that that is the intent of the program then there's a lot more similarity than there are differences um there are so you can build uh and i think we 
proved it and shall you know you can build out a core infrastructure to service um the multiple markets where you've got 80% commonality but you have mm-hmm. the flexibility for 20% important nuances and differences to address local market needs so that's my i would say 80 20 but i'm gotcha. there are people to tell me I got it wrong i don't know I know yeah well I'm sure there's plenty of debate always around those and and marketeers will always insist as I have done um and I I think particularly for us in Ireland we would always say we would often be be thrown in with the uh, with the UK in terms of marketing plans and we would uh, argue strenuously for our at least 20% nuanced um you know differences be it on execution or communication so uh, yeah. <laughs> so glad there's some on that one so <laughs> yeah great Great. So from uh, Shell then to Visa Europe Crispin. So um tell us about working on the payment side of things. So yeah, very very different space um and in a way this was me being poached turn gamekeeper because it was part of my job when at Shell to go around and uh, and argue with the likes of Visa was <laughs> why the cost yeah. was so high in the end of course you yeah. uh, kind of solve for, for that and uh with the similar thing in the states but um what was fascinating there was it was a super time to join when visa europe as it was at the time um was just getting more comfortable about opening up the rich resources they had in terms of the data they were sitting on um mm-hmm. to start driving insight and value out of it historically um they had been understandably extremely cautious and making sure it was all tightly kept under lock and key um yeah Yeah, the CEO at the time said no no we can we can keep it secure and under lock and key but there's no reason why we shouldn't get those assets working for us and Great. So, so we brought in um an outfit called beyond analysis it was a, a super analytical okay. company um uh, from folk that were actually exed on humby um mm-hmm. and we started working with them on what was a a lovely rich data set something like 14 billion transactions a year i think we had um wow and in the uk as an example they have 97% i think it is of all debit card transactions wow and you know knowing how much you know we are in the uk now the, the third most uh, cashless society in the world because we're using contactless and uh, great mobile yeah and so on so there's a massive uh, just a ever growing data set there of information about exactly you know which shop you bought in uh, at what point through what channel what time of day what day uh, and the brands that you bought in can be segmented mm-hmm. into uh, categories and in fact mm-hmm. you can infer other things about the brand in terms mm-hmm. of um, uh, affluence or um, geographic location or there's also so many in- indicators i think we had 190 or something additional indicators on top of the um wow. the, the actual hard data points around date and channel and so on and so yeah. just this started building out a really interesting um data set and segmentation to understand not what people yeah. still do but what they actually do <laughs> <in terms laughs> of, um, yes um, And what I'm picking up Crispin there um again some of the, the the fantastic companies I've worked for um have really struggled to get the level of insight and um analysis mm. but it sounds like um in every instance if you really want to do it well mm. then the likes of the Dunhumby or Beyond Analysis who I I hadn't heard of previously mm. these kind of companies it's it's obviously worth investing in getting third party specialists in terms of really understanding the asset you have I would be a big fan for that I say and and similar to what you were saying earlier on around you know how you enjoy consulting getting the best so to yeah. in this you know kind of specialist niche area um, it's very yeah. hard to recruit and retain the very best analysts um yeah. working in your one particular area so uh, I yeah I I I found great You'd that support that specialist definitely um great so that um for us that was then a the platform then to the idea was that that was actionable insight so there was some um uh, there was an aspect of sharing that with retailers giving the retailers some value back for for the new card fees they were paying out so in addition to just enabling a transaction what could we provide back to retailers so they could understand their business better um mm-hmm. but the, then the real actionable elements we were then building out were bank and market propositions around card linked offers um so this is where you know with your with your payment card registered 
Mm-hmm. That obviously allows us to to track and determine which retailers you're buying in, and and we were layering on offers from those retailers, retailer funded offers, um, mm. that targeted and segmented, and so on, that leverage the insight and segmentation and help drive the right behaviours. You know, as far as the retailer was concerned, and wow. the relevant offers as far as the consumer was concerned. So um, that was, you know, we we were busy building that out in the five years I was there um, mm-hmm. in the UK, Poland and Ireland. And uh, I know they've since taken that on. And and I s- see that market's still growing. Um, I know there are several other players that have come to the market since. And I think that is that will continue to be a growth area for loyalty. It's a different yeah. sort of loyalty. There's not points-based loyalty, but it does have the benefits of um, being well, card-linked and being reliant on any payment card um, mechanism. Yeah. And so I think I think that's, again, is one to watch all over the world, in fact. Um, yeah. And certainly from my perspective, like like the, the, the magical words you used there is, is, is around kind of proven behavior change yeah. um, because fundamentally, like we're all in business at the end of the day. So, you know, why are we investing these, you know, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in um, platforms, programs and, and, and teams to build things out and, and to be able to kind of drive things that are commercially valuable and to prove that at the other end, I think is extraordinary to, to witness as well. Exactly. Yeah. Couldn't agree yeah. More. So then um, we're coming on to the, the current company and this is the really big idea, Crispin, and I'm dying to hear how long it was, um, you know, uh, percolating around, you know, I'm sure there was a spark of inspiration and the brand that you've created, I love, um, obviously for good causes. So tell us, why have you set it up and, and kind of what are you trying to achieve with it? So... The, the Fugger Causes was, uh, yeah, it has been a, a, a while in the making and the, the germ of the idea probably um, came to me about five years ago, perhaps, um, and mm-hmm. then it was gestating for a while before. <laughs> Always it. does, t- yeah, takes time. But then we brought it to life about three years ago, um, mm-hmm. the company, and then uh, Steve Wilkes, my co-founder, came on stream and, and we built out the team around that. Um, and what it is... Uh, attempting to do is to address the needs that I've seen all over the world um, in the businesses I've been involved in and the conferences that I've been into, which is many all over the world around loyalty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And wherever I go, there's been two things in particular that that keep coming up as issues which we all wrestle with in the industry. Firstly, mm. um, there is this idea of the Pareto principle. You know, this the 80-20 yeah. rule that the top 20%, and sometimes it's considerably less, is actively involved in the program. But then Mm -hmm. you've got a long tail, a mass of customers who are fairly disengaged and are not particularly involved or interested. Um, Mm. I know I was very much enjoyed Mike Atkins' uh, podcast with you a week or two ago. Um, Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. He touched on this and said, you know, what about that 80%? And he's absolutely right. That's a lot of human beings um, who are... (laughs) Yes, valuable human beings. Absolutely. (laughs) So on the one hand, you've got this Pareto thing. There's a long tail of disengaged customers. Um, and on the other, even those for those that are engaged, um, the, it's something we all wrestle with is that the engagement is typically very transactional. It kind of lacks in, in any depth or emotional aspect. And I think mm-hmm. if anything, over the last five years, I think that's gotten more so. I think there's been a greater drive to just comparison against um, financial value and discount. And I think we're drifting into more discount mode, which is more like the US type model. And I think yeah. is um, we need to be wary of that as an industry. Um, the you know so those two things combined um, mean you know is leads to what we talked about earlier that half customers don't use their points. They sit there doing nothing. Then they're expired, mm. and that uh, is actually uh, making customers less loyal, not more loyal. Um, and the brand is missing out on that significant uplift that they could be getting by the customers really tasting the benefits of the program, which is of course you know, what the programs are designed to do. Mm. So um, yeah, so uh, you asked where the idea came from. So there I was sitting on these you know, significant programs with huge budgets. In my mm. home life, I'm involved with a couple of 
small local charities. And it just struck me as odd one day that there I was managing spreadsheets and budgets with very many noughts on the numbers we were dealing with. And then mm. in the evening, I'd be sitting in a cold room and worrying about how we're going to pay the electricity bill for the little mm. charity that I'm involved in. And it just wow. struck me, there must be a way that we can connect these two worlds because yeah. there is such a depth of feeling and emotion yeah. on the charitable side, and yet then so much need, and there's such a hunger for engagement coming from the, the loyalties. Mm. Um, I mean, what I have observed over the years is that where brands do have a charitable element to their to their program, historically it's been very limited. So it might be that they they have got a favour at one or two charities, and they'll say, mm-hmm. oh, I, oh, "You can do all these things with your points," and as a bit of an afterthought, or you can give them to these one or two charities, which is good and better. Yeah. Than but this was the key insight for me. As human beings, we've got this incredible capacity for caring and uh, for being generous and for looking mm-hmm. after each other and for caring what mm-hmm. happens to the planet. We have that mm-hmm. side to us, all of us. And yet the things that we are particularly passionate about and care about are very personal to us. It depends on what's happened in our own life experiences, what's happened to uh, our loved ones or to, to those around us. So you can't tell people what to care about. So yeah. that was kind of the aha moment that, come on, in this digital world, there must be a way of bringing these things together. Let's turn yeah. the whole engagement model on its head. Um, let's address the lack of often meaningful engagement in many loyalty programs um, and give people the opportunity to get behind what they really care about by and supporting that with their loyalty points or miles or cashback. Let them donate to the charity of their choosing. Um, and in the UK now, we are enabling that to over 14,000 different charities. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't even think there would have been 14,000 charities in the UK, Crispin. That sounds an incredible amount. Like, like, do you really think it's important to have that many for, for people to choose from? So our experience says that it is absolutely, yes, that is that is vital. You know, If you're going to... Wow customers the opportunity to support their the thing which they care about then yeah the choice is very wide because there's loads of fantastic stuff going on up and down the country and around the world um, yeah. for charities doing really remarkable work the stuff which is important life things right <laughs> which is why it puts me out of bed and i'm energized to, to be doing this um, yeah so we've been live with uh, several Big brand partners already. Um, that includes um, we're live with Vodafone, we're live with Quidco, we're live on Sedexo and Perkbox and Lloyd's in their employee benefit programs. And already we've seen the proof that people will, when given the choice, they will choose uh, from a, a wide variety of different causes. So we've seen over 1,300 charities receive funds through us already. And, mm-hmm. and that's just getting faster and faster. So in August alone, people donated to over 850 different charities. And that ranged from the very, very large and well-known national and international brands in, in this country. The big ones are Cancer Research UK and Macmillan, Alzheimer's mm. Research UK and SPCC, you know, World Wildlife Fund. There's all these very, very large and well-known ones. And sure enough, they do attract um, a lot of donations. But mm. equally, there's equally a great number of uh, you know, very wide range of local or specialist charities, whether that's local hospices. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the, the, the organizations which look after the elderly and those actually close to passing yeah. on in this country. Um, yeah. Local hospitals to schools and preschools to churches and RNLI stations, which is um, those uh, outfits which look after the uh, those in distress at the sea. Um, local RSPCAs, which is the, uh, the the animal welfare. So many mm-hmm. different animal charities. I can't. I can't begin to tell you them. <laughs> we love animals, for sure. We love animals here in the UK. I'm sure uh, most markets do, but here we see yeah. a huge range of cats and dogs, and all the different breeds and types of dog you can imagine. But we also Amazing. People, people want to donate their points to donkey sanctuaries and to hedgehog welfare places, and they want to wow. have 
protect the snow leopard and the black rhino and whales and dolphins and bird life <laughs> and bug life and I could go on and on. You know, <laughs> and bees and, and, and all sorts. You're right. Really, you are right. <laughs> you know, give them a chance. People care enough about those things. Each person's got their, and they'll have reasons for why they've got those passions. Um, yeah. And so, you know, so so it's been fantastically exciting and fun to see all the different charities that people care about enough to donate the value yeah. and some miles. Um, but again, you know, putting back on our Marxist hat, what this is doing is, is really hitting some key targets for any good loyalty program. We talk about, don't we? We want emotional engagement. We want personalization. We want localization. It's got to be digital. It's got to be mobile first. Well, actually, um, to be honest, almost by, <laughs> by coincidence, this <laughs> core idea really helps address all of those things. And we're finding that as we engage brands to offer this on their programs as a redemption option, we're finding yeah. people you know, get excited to different degrees. Different you know, brands have got different interests, but uh, of yeah. those things I've just mentioned, there'll be, there'll be at least two that people will say, now that's interesting. We love the person. Uh, we love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and certainly because I've been watching your journey over the last year or two, as I mentioned, Crispin, I can hear um, and see both the uh, the amount of word of mouth marketing that you're getting, which I'm always saying has to be a critical factor um, in any marketeer's toolkit, uh, but also, I suppose, massive kind of publicity um, on, on kind of big mainstream channels. So yeah. it, it's it's obvious you've really hit on something. And, and I think you articulated it well there just by saying you can't tell people what to care about. No, no, <laughs> so... No, I, I could agree with the critical piece, and um, I, we were fortunate enough through some contacts to um, to find some influencers. Um, so these are actors and so on, and sports people who were willing to video themselves to in support of what we're doing, um, because you know because they've got some concern, you know, some cause which they are passionate about and want to put in the spot. Yeah. So um, so we're very excited about that. Um, that. You know, it is something that has got energy because yeah. back to the fact that, you know, we're all human beings and we all care. Um, and so here's a, a vehicle that we can get behind and uh, it, it's a fresh thing. And the charities love it. They, they love the fact that there's a new source of yeah. revenue because they're having a tough time of it. Um, yeah. They, uh, they, are, they are struggling to continue to raise the funds they need. So they love seeing yeah. an innovation. Absolutely. So do you think, Crispin, then, is this part of an overall um, trend that uh, I suppose listeners need to be really tuned into? So, again, you know, we all have charitable intentions, um, but it sounds like there, there's something even bigger going on. Is, is that true? I think it is absolutely true. Um, you know, and you've only got to see all of the noise there is around sustainability and, uh, you know, the, the school driven going on strike and so on. Um, you know, there is... Without doubt, a, a large movement. There is a change in the zeitgeist. <laughs> that doesn't sound too yeah. pretentious. Yeah. There is, you know, people are realizing. I think since the, for me, it's since the two thousand and eight financial crisis, when there was a, you know, a groundswell of opinion that okay, greed isn't good anymore. You know, this isn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not it's not working. Something's got to change. Brands have got to do more than just make money. And um, and so, uh, especially, you know, driven, embarrassingly for us oldies, driven by the younger generation, the questions are being, yeah. what, what are you doing as a brand um, to contribute to global sustainability, to support local communities, to help lift up, you know, those in need around the world? Um, so, you know, I think that is a, a macro movement around the world, which is an opportunity actually for us as marketers and um, also mm. as people to to get behind and and help drive forward. Um, mm. And as I said, it's especially the younger generations, millennials, Generation Z coming up now. Um, yeah. They're not just saying this is important. I need to know the brand I work for, I need to know that I need to know what their values are and that they're living up mm. to those values. Do they align with mine? But even yeah. the brands they're buying from, what where's this come from? What are they doing in the in the supply chain? Um, so, absolutely, I think it's a trend. Um, you know, I don't claim to have been the, the one that spotted it. Um, and in fact, there there are already some super examples of loyalty programs with CSR dimensions to them out there in the market. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm 
I've got a little dog at home here and uh, I'm very much a fan of pets at home. Uh, <laughs> and they have this the charity lifelines aspect of their program whereby each time you swipe your card or give your card details over, they will make a donation to some um, some or several hundred local animal charities up and down the country. Um, okay. Little donations each time, but £11 million donated so far. You know, that's a lot. Wow. That's going to make a big difference to those. It uh, adds up, doesn't it? it yeah. Adds. Marks and Spence, yeah. another one with their Sparks program. It's just a penny a transaction every time you swipe your Sparks, Sparks uh, card and, and the penny goes to a choice of 10 charities that, that they list there. Six yeah. million pounds donated so far. And so, wow. as you said, it, it does add up. Um, perhaps just another couple of uh, interesting reference points. I think I think the co-op's done a super job with their membership program. What I love mm-hmm. there is that they've got a 5% return to the consumer and there's a mm-hmm. 1% element to a, to a very local charity, um, mm. which has chose help, you know, the, the local staff, as I understand it, help choose what that very local charity would be. So something for mm. the customer, something for the community. Um, mm. Equally, there's uh, looking further afield. So it's not just in the UK. This is happening. I think there's a lot. There's a lot going on in the UK, but um, in India, there's the uh, Points for People program. Brian Almeida is is, is leading um, okay. next to some development work in in India through the Tata Trust, which is super. And I think mm-hmm. possibly the godfather of all of these, uh, I think, is the My School, My Village, My Planet program in South Africa. It's been going for twenty odd years. Um, yeah, it started just after I'd left South Africa. In fact, and I know some of the people involved in setting that up, and so they raised mm-hmm. money for schools, for charities, and environmental organisations. And I, I think actually they were pioneers in leading the way and showing that you can bring brand and brands and charitable work together. You can bring mar- effective marketing and effective fundraising together for the benefit of everybody. Um, yeah, so. Yes, I honestly do think this is a rising trend, and, mm. and I think you know it's it's there's a really strong business rationale to be involved with this. Yeah, it's also a great thing to be involved in as, as human beings, and uh, in, it's the right thing for us to be doing. Absolutely. Uh, and I love that, Crispin. And there's a couple of points I'd love to pick up on. Um, I hadn't appreciated the subtlety of Marks and Spencer's doing a penny per swipe yeah. as distinct from a penny per transaction, because, you know, maybe historically you might have just said, OK, you know, let's just do it based on transactions. But, you know, it is a business at the end of the day and we do need to drive swipe rates. So um, there's an added incentive for both parties to make sure that that data is being captured, exactly. um, which I which I really love. And and just when you mentioned the um, that program down in South Africa, mm. um, I may well have been at the same talk as you there in London at the uh, the loyalty surgery when that was being presented a couple yep. of years ago. And again, it blew my mind. Mm. And I actually have one of the people involved uh, coming on to this podcast in about two weeks time. Mm. So we're going to do a dedicated show as well around the, the My School, My Village, My Planet. So so I think there is definitely, um, you know, on both sides, we're all connecting to um, some Something a bit greater, you know, than, than what we've been doing, maybe just transactionally in the past. Yeah, exactly so. Great. So tell me then, with all of those kind of case studies, um, what's what's different in terms of how you've set up the, the, the company in terms of four good causes? So I think in a nutshell, what we're trying to do is just take it all a step further, to nudge it that bit further on. So, so um, we're all about providing the ultimate in charity choice for consumers across as many programs as we can reach. And that that's initially here in the UK, but in, in mm. due course across uh, as many markets that we can reach as well. Mm. So, you know, what I would love, my dream is that one day it'll be the norm that, of course, you can donate your points and your miles to the charity of your choice. Um, yeah. Why should you not be able to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere, with every point you have, even though there's only one left, <laughs> it'll be donated. Quite right. So... <laughs> And, and yeah, and, it, and this is very much a global game. You know, I know you're really focusing on the global aspect of loyalty in this podcast, which I think is terrific. And again, with my background, you wouldn't be surprised to hear me say that. Um, exactly. We yeah. really, you, know, you really do recognize. And what we're finding is as we engage with brands, um, you know, the brands 
have got footprints in in many markets, um, and so this resonates across all the markets. The issues are the same as as I mentioned earlier that loyalty programs are facing. Um, yeah. So so I think this is going to be a very significant part of the loyalty landscape generally. Um, you know, we want to help. Sort of uh, stoke those fires further, and um, mm. and, and although you know the vision is, I think I hope one day it'll become a norm. Those that are adopting this first, I think, are really going to reap the most benefits. Um, yeah. And perhaps just one other thing to touch on, which I haven't mentioned. So another thing which um, we are working hard on is, as much as we are engaging brands to encourage them to put this wide charity choice into their redemption option. Um, mm. We're also engaging with the charities, the large ones directly and the, the whole raft of smaller ones digitally and mm. say, look, this this is an opportunity for you. You've got a part to play as well. There's no cost to them being on, on, these, on this program. Um, Lovely. But what their task is, is to spread the word. So they need yeah. to be reaching out to their supporters using the marketing reach effectively that they have of their passionate yeah. and, and, and strong supporters to say, here yeah. are new ways that you can support us. And in so doing, that's obviously yeah. a terrific opportunity for brands to extend their reach about the messaging they want to get across that mm-hmm. there's an app that does this or their program enables this uh, or even as a promotion next month addressing you know, providing these opportunity to raise funds for charity so we're trying to um kind of pull together the needs of brands the passions of consumers and and the reach that charities have got uh, to support the great work they do that, that's i guess what would be unique about us my God, you're a very busy man. Yes. <laughs> um, but already I can think, Crispin, like I have a number of friends again who have fundraising responsibilities. Um, so definitely, like I already know that this show is going to be sent on to a couple of my own people in, in my network who definitely, as you said, need new ways to, to raise funds. So um, if there's anything, you know, that, that this show or, or any of my network can do to spread the word, I, I definitely will, will make sure that we do that. So, um, yeah, so I, I love the fact that it's ticking all these boxes. Yeah, um, um, yeah. Brilliant. So just one thing I wanted to ask as well, though, Crispin, um, you know, a lot of kind of um, customers or clients, I suppose I'd be talking to would say, you know, you know, maybe we, we shouldn't be, you know, using points, you know, is that a model that people are getting tired of? There are some that are moving to maybe offers and they're talking about customer experiences. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I've done most of my loyalty work is kind of partner negotiation yes. um, of course, a number of different pro- programs. So do you think, um, you know, is there still, you know, an opportunity given given that trend? Um, can they still work with you in terms of four good causes? Yes, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked <laughs> where the points programs are dying. And um, yeah. it always reminds me, I think it's Mark Twain who said, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> Gotcha. And yeah. the same thing you could say about the demise of loyalty points. You know, I've been yeah. saying for 15 years, I think the uh, reports of the death of points are greatly exaggerated. They, they, <laughs> they're not going anywhere. They're not. We the need reason, them. The reason is that having this currency to incentivize people um, that tracks their behavior and gives them an incentive to shift it to the behaviors you want, a little micro yeah. value, not, you know, at, a, at an affordable level, um, that's an incredibly effective tool as everybody listening will know um to, yeah. to use when it's done correctly but what that doesn't mean is that um it's the only way to engage customers and um, especially now in our new you know, digital mobile first world um mm. and i'd also say that there are certain sectors which lend themselves much better towards points than others um so recognizing that i i think you're I think you're onto something here. I think that we're likely to see more non-points-based programs um, going forward rather than less. Um, okay. There will, I'm sure there will continue to be new points programs and the existing ones will continue to grow and evolve. Um, but recognizing that, um, yes, in further causes, we've, we've got a proposition which um, we put under the general headline of um, kind of surprising delight rewards that um, that would be suitable for that uh, those sorts of non-point based programs 
Okay. And, and, and what's, I mean, I, you know, we talk about surprise and delight, certainly in every program that I work on, but in your context, uh, I mean, it sounds, you know, fantastic, but, you know, it can be quite expensive. So, so what do you exactly mean? Is there like a business case around it or, or what, are you, what are you meaning? So, um, yes, absolutely. The, uh, there is a business case around the surprise and delight rewards, by which I mean um, the provision of, of uh, unconditional rewards targeted to individual consumers. Um, okay. And I can best illustrate it with the, with the journey that I went on when I was at Shell around our CRM strategy. I mentioned that we brought Dunhamby in, we started exploiting the data um, in, in the nicest possible way to, to work out to whom we should be uh, connecting, communicating at what point. And where we started there was to target the direct marketing activity to lapsed customers. Um, mm. which, you know, to me at the time, I thought that sounds very sensible because it makes sense. Yeah. Anybody, you know, if they've lapsed, then any volume coming back through is going to be incremental. You can count all that margin as incremental. Thank you very much. Should be mm. easier to um, to provide a positive ROI. Um, and when you've got constrained budgets, that you know, seems like a good idea of a way to spend your money. Mm. Mm. The problem is <laughs> that there's a reason <laughs> that customers have lapsed and they are invariably going to be the least responsive to communications that you send. So yeah. our, our experience back then was, when we're talking you know, 15 years ago, um, but our experience was that response rates and ROI were pretty low, not very exciting. Um, now, the next step we, we did was the people at Dunhamby, super smart, really you know, on the ball, and they looked at the data and they spotted that customers, when they lapse, they don't go from... Um, being super loyal to falling off a cliff and suddenly disappear, they mm. drift away, they fade. And because of that, they said, oh, we can build you a little system that will track each individual customer and provide you with an early warning signal that says, based on wow. purchase pattern data, we've got an expected purchase pattern. These ones are a bit late. These ones are very late. These ones are on time. Yeah. Like a traffic line system. Wow. So, Very clever. Um, well, that's what I thought. I thought it was really cool. Let's do that. <laughs> so off we did. Off we went. Then we did. Sure enough, um, we found that uh, the response rates were better and the return on investment was better. And then we were sitting going through those results, and I was sitting there thinking, something's just not right here. So hang on a minute. Why? Actually, why are we waiting for customers even to start showing these signs of lapsing and then incentivizing them to come back? Why aren't we incentivizing and rewarding customers for doing? what we already are wanting them to do, which is to be, be loyal and buy lots from us. Um, okay. When they're behaving as best customers, why shouldn't we be going after, actually after them? The historical rush answer previously being, well, they're doing fine anyway, so why, why do we need to waste time on them? Well, we shifted some budget into that, and sure enough, we saw much better response rates, much higher return on investment. In a way... Not surprising on the response rates because you know these were the most engaged and involved customers with the brand. So you kind of expect mm. them to respond. Perhaps mm. the return investment was surprising. And there were several reasons um, would be uncovered eventually for that. Um, the first was that you know, if we gave them a conditional offer, say, you know, if you buy this extra time, then you'll you'll earn these extra points. Mm. What we found in, invariably, and I'm sure, again, your listeners will recognize this now, um, is that people didn't just scrape along and just meet the target. They tended to completely smash the target. So <laughs> instead of just you know, filling out one more time, they would fill up three more times, you know, or buying 50 more liters, they'd buy 150 more liters. So, so there, there was wow. actually really strong um, responses and therefore, you know, very good um, incremental margins flowing through. And so then... Long-winded answer to the, the, the original question, but back to this surprise and delight thing, that kind of took that to the next level again. And to say, well, hang on a minute, instead of just giving a stretch offer, what if we just provide customers unconditional thank you type rewards? And personally, I love this idea of kind of generosity yeah. marketing. The generosity marketing, be the be the one as the brand, be the one that takes the first step towards being generous. Um, the yeah. customers are already rewarding you because they are uh, they're buying from you regularly and, yeah. and watch that customer's positive reaction when you give them something unprompted and watch okay. it in their purchase patterns in their brand admiration and their recommendation and so on. Um, yeah. And, you know, another way of putting this, I think it was 
Terry Lee who said something similar to this years ago around this sort of idea was you you've really got your loyalty culture right in the company when what you mean by loyalty is not the customers being loyal to you but you being loyal to the customer um, yeah then you've got that, that that's a customer-centric yeah. approach to to running your business and yeah and so so yes surprising the lie is there a strong business case? I really think there is. And, and what we're, we're playing into that space to say, let's add a new dimension to that aspect. So um, mm. we're offering rather than something for immediate consumption, like a coffee or a muffin or sausage roll, lovely as those things are. Um, yeah. Why don't we, why, why don't we put into that mix um, a gift card token that the customer can use to support the thing the cause that they really care about most in all the world. Let them choose where they want to put that value and uh, and let's see their reaction. Lovely, lovely. And I've one um, personal example of, um, of of surprise and delight. What I know for a fact, though, is we didn't have the kind of um, data or, or access. We didn't have, um, you know, the analytics that you're talking about there, Crispin. So, you know, I've talked before about when the three mobile phone network bought the O2 um, network in Ireland. Oh. And at that time of transition, we were keen to, um, you know, just let them feel the love and the, the strategy that you you've just labeled for us there, which I, I, I really like the term generosity marketing. Yeah. Um, we did it by by virtue of having to and without being able to even do that business case. We just knew, again, intrinsically as human beings, these people are bearing with us at, at quite a difficult time in our in our company's evolution. Yeah. So let's just give something back to them. So um, so I love that that, that you did that. Mm. Um, but I guess we were always challenged on, on the budget, you know. So, you know, people were like, well, well what much, how much more can you expect from your customers like what kind of behavior should we be driving if we're going to invest in rewards so so what 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 would you think in terms of um the capabilities of how loyal you can make your customers be so here is the fascinating thing which actually was the bridge between um, my time at shell and my time at, at visa because we, we were on, in, into this whole um concept and really going after best customers and and um, saying well, how far can you push them and w- whatever we tried they always met it they always exceeded our expectation for how much more wow now, Brilliant. When um, there just seemed to be this this endless headroom, so when I went to Visa, uh, and actually I went to Visa because we were uh, at Shell, I was starting to explore with them. How can we answer the question as to why this is the case? Um, and what we found, looking at all those fourteen billion transactions, was um, true not only of Shell, not only of the fuel sector, but it was a true across every retail sector that we looked at, um, which. Mm-hmm basically all of them, um, what you found was that a brand's best customer was still buying probably as much again from their competitors. So wow. customers, yeah. you in, as, as a, in your brand are thinking, these are my best and my most loyal customers because they're buying the most and the most frequently from me. Um, yeah. The the payment data, which allows you to see spend outside of your brand, not just within your brand, yeah. dem- demonstrates that as a norm, and the range is sort of 30 to 50 by depending on sector, and of course, some brands do better than others, but mm. by and large, um, there is a quite surprising amount of headroom. Your loyal customers are probably not that loyal. <laughs> so it's wow. Depressing yeah. thing, but it is true, and it is an exciting thing to say because it means that um, they they your best customers do love you. They're buying a lot from you, but they've got more to give. Invariably, there is there is mm. more. Um, in general, across the segment, there's loads more. And so um, wow. that perspective, I think, really changes the way that that we look at our customers and, and, and look at our best customers and say, you know, actually, let's go deeper here. Let's, let's see how, how much we can just keep pushing this on. Yeah. Well, I can see why you would be attracted then into into the payment side and into Visa, as you said, Crispin. Um, and to go back to one of my, um, you know, previous lives, we would have called that, you know, what you're calling headroom, we would have just called share of wallet. Yeah. Uh, but again, we never had access to the data. So, you know, if you can partner with, a, you know, whether it's a payment card or whatever, um, to get access to how much more is there that we can drive in terms of behavior, how much more of the wallet can we capture? Um, there's a probably an unprecedented amount of opportunity there from from the way you're describing it. I think there is, yeah, yeah, there, there is. And, wow. and usually it's all done in baskets, so you can't see any of your direct competitors. It was a basket of five, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, yeah no it's and it is worth uh, any big brands out there probably already engaged but uh, it is worth talking to the schemes they've got incredibly rich data and they're, and are keen to start sharing that back now much more than they ever have been I think Wonderful. So listen, we're coming towards the end, Crispin, um, and I can't believe how many more questions I still have for you, but I don't think we'll get to them all today. Um, so I, I'm going to ask you just, I suppose, a, a couple of final ones and um, and hope that we can bring you back on the show. Um, I know you have a huge amount of expertise, um, you know, that you've talked about in terms of evaluating programs and standards and, and health checks. So, so I will ask you maybe to do that at another time, but um, I did want to give you an opportunity to talk about um, you know other tools as well as loyalty point uh, donation facilities um, so you mentioned that to me in a previous conversation so I just thought I'd give you a chance to talk to you, talk about that before we wrap up sure yes yeah. so so we're all about finding new ways for people to donate to charity and unlocking new new sources of funding and loyalty points is is really our lead story and you know it is the is the big story yeah. but but there are some other really interesting um pockets one of which is um around the gift card markets so and again okay. the growth of digital gift cards i know that will be of relevance to many of your listeners as they're being incorporated mm. into uh into loyalty program redemption options um but in the uk i was surprised to find that that's gift card market um is big it's about six and a half billion pounds in the uk good lord um, wow <laughs> Huge, and that's it. Splits fifty-fifty between consumers buying it for each other and businesses yeah. using it to incent their customers or their staff. Um, okay. So we are. We have just um, announced that we are now offering um, charities the option to work with us um, to be able to uh, get customers to donate any unwanted gift cards to to them to the charity. So we're turning on gift cards uh, and of course we've all again experienced that you know you get yeah. gift cards from brands that you that aren't convenient for you or you're not particularly keen on or that you're never quite going to yeah. get to. Um, and so here's a way that you can rather than that sitting in the in your cupboard until they've expired um mm. it's something you can do to, to give that away and and there's probably around 300 million pounds of of unused cards uh, again a year in this country um wow. which, which we want to give the opportunity for people to to, to donate to so we've just uh, launched that um and alongside that just in time for christmas we're offering charities the chance to um to promote a gift card mall where again customers can do what they want to do which is buy gift cards for their family and friends and at no mm. extra cost a proportion of that um will be a donation to their to their favorite charity um so yeah, that, that's that's one thing. And then the other, which could have some relevance for the audience here, actually. Um, we, I mentioned earlier that the UK is now the third most cash to society in the world because we're all using yeah. our contact and contactless and so on. Yeah. And that hits charities because charities have relied on cash in the past as their main source of getting money from consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, Barclays reckoned that £80 million was lost. Um, last year as a result of people not carrying cash. So, wow. um, and the, the challenge is that charities have been dependent on cash and they're not in the main, they're not well equipped to keep up with you know new forms of taking digital and, uh, and card payments. So mm -hmm. we've created an express mobile donation service that allows charities, but also retailers for the charities they're supporting um, mm -hmm to print QR codes on any collaterals that might be in catalogues or magazines. Or, or we're actually out with uh, the Aspinall Foundation at the moment with Sainsbury's magazine mm. where customers can scan the little QR code with their phone. They make mm -hmm. an express donation using Apple Pay or, or Google Pay. Uh, mm. Some, they, they make the donation from their card in their Apple Pay wallet, say. Um, mm. And in the Aspinall example, um, there's a competition that you can win uh, a couple of nights at one of their fabulous uh, um, conservation centres uh, with mm. a glass wall adjoining the, the, the tiger, um, the, the little, where the tigers are kept. So you can literally wake up with the tigers next door to you. Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so that's uh, another aspect um, which we're using infrastructure we've built out um, to enable people to use their phones to make donations speedily um, and yeah. to allow retailers and brands to um, engage their customers or their staff with a way to support their brands too, so support the charity that they, that they have to sponsor. 
Wow. Well, my goodness, Crispin. Well, I mean, certainly I've I've clearly drunk the Kool-Aid. Uh, I was already a fan of the company before we started the conversation, but uh, I've learned a huge amount on uh, on today's conversation. Um, I think there's key messages there that the audience are absolutely going to love, um, whether it is, you know, infrastructure to build charity into their overall propositions or really just kind of reaching out to you, whether it's a charity or a brand. Um, I, I really think there's, there's massive um, interest in what you're doing. So will you maybe give us a, an idea? Uh, what's the best way to get in contact with you if somebody does want to explore opportunities with you? Uh, so you can very welcome to email me directly, crispin.rogers at forgoodcauses.org. Uh, or mm-hmm. you can find me on LinkedIn, of course. And yeah, I'd be delighted to, to chat with anyone about this space. I have a passion for it. Clearly, clearly. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well, just to make sure we get the spelling and everything right. Um, but as I said, um, uh, Crispin, I'd really love to get you back on the show again um, to talk about all of your other areas of expertise. Uh, but for now, I just want to say, well done. You're doing incredible work. I'm a huge fan and uh, thank you for joining Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you, Paula. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews and thanks again for supporting the show.